Okie dokie. Welcome. Hey, welcome, welcome. We hope the day finds you well. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I hope you're doing well. Mingle around on your videos uh, earlier on oh, yeah? today, actually. Yeah, yeah, I watched the, uh, I watched some of the Kubo one. Then mm -hmm. I watched one with uh, Danielle, of course, because you dropped that as well. Luckily, it was a good opportunity to sit down and watch it because uh, I'm actually familiar with her work before all of that. Oh, yeah, no, she's she, absolutely. She's done. She's done a lot. I like that we both have a hey, similar portrait, similar, <laughs> similar um, libraries. If, if we were like knowledge keepers in that sort of oh, yeah, yeah, of we, we got to. Speaking of knowledge keepers, you, my friend, you, you, what do I do? <laughs> What do I do with you? Um, Cal, thank you for being who you are, doing what you do. The first time we ever really acknowledge this pantheon is in the 2018 game. As we dive deeper into Tears Vault, we are met with a sea of treasures from far away lands. Little did we actually know that all of these treasures were gifts given to Tear. It was a sign of acknowledgement that Tear was a beacon of peace amongst the gods of the Aesir, seeking to unite the different lands. And amongst these treasures is a scarab medallion and an Egyptian crown. Now these are actually very important items for many different reasons. Because for an Egyptian king to gift someone a crown is a great sign of respect. Along with this, there were many pharaohs and kings that were believed to have derived directly from the blood of the gods, most commonly Horus. So there's always the possibility that Teal was not actually gifted this from a pharaoh, but instead from Horus himself. Now the scarab actually symbolizes a number of different things in Egyptian culture, but it is said to be the physical representation of luck, will, and protection. For your That's various an absolute communities. pleasure that you um, contribute to mythology, um, but obviously with God of War. Uh, mm. Here's the thing is um, the very, very best that an art form can aspire to is to basically do it all, is to entertain, is to, um, you know, have us learn things about ourselves. But a huge thing for me is to have that material launch people off into like deeper and varied and kind of omnidirectional inquiry. And what you do is, is you take the premise of God of War and you look at the tiny little hints that have been given in the games um, about what we might see. And you take mythology as we know it, take God of War and basically give your... I mean, it was a Dream Country channel. I, saw, I immediately reached out. I was like, this, oh, is, this is my people. He's one of the real ones. And, um, and that's what really in this space even though there's a, a a huge huge we can't really quantify what's about to happen in in november in terms mm. of what i really believe eric has done which is he has i believe surpassed um uh the 2018 uh because he's so quiet he's just like i've just literally devoted yeah. every single piece of bandwidth to to you know these nine realms you know um and uh and and what i sense that's going to happen is um channels like yours which uh are just a salves they're like panacea for anyone being like where are we gonna go next <laughs> and you know yeah Aztec mythology all these things so man welcome thank you for being who you are and yeah i had to start there oh thank you very much i super appreciate coming on here you know it's it's nice to be actually um able to mingle with the god of war community because you know this is also my first time kind of because predominantly I come from fighting games. I'm actually a 
fighting game content creator mostly known for Mortal Kombat. But hell yeah! Oh man, that was one of my first ever episodes yeah. I recorded. We have a Mortal Kombat podcast. Oh, that's quite yeah, funny, buddy. actually. Yeah, no, uh, I've done a lot of work with Mortal Kombat over the years. I've played on the pro league. I've commentated on some of the biggest tournaments in the last few years. So it's been good and refreshing because I talked about basically the same thing for about seven years. So stepping into God of War, it felt like the next natural step for myself as a like a content creator. You know, you can only talk about the same thing so many times. It's like yeah. draining blood from a stone. Yeah. But you know, God of War was always kind of there you know kratos was in one of the mortal kombat games and then obviously when the 2018 one came out i was really absorbed in that you know i wish i could have played it more propped on release but they didn't have the new game plus and i'm just kind of like i don't want to lose all my save day i'm gonna mm -hmm. i'm gonna wait this out but as i started to you know see more about this universe and you know, kind of getting grossed with it. I started, because my creative process with making videos is always, what is the type of content that I would want to watch? There so, you go, you're a brother. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, and the thing is, like, there, there was always videos of, like, Kratos' origins and histories, but, you know, I am, I don't know if I'm a glutton for punishment, but when it came to me making it, I was just like, none of these videos are quite as expansive as what I would personally like to look or see. So I'll do what I did with Mortal Kombat and mm -hmm. I will take the same elements from what I made before and I'll bring it over to the God of War universe. Cause again, much like, you know, Mortal Kombat and God of War, these are expansive and like really long series that have gone on for decades. And unfortunately there are some fans, including myself when I made the videos actually, where I missed the opportunity to play those games and really experience them firsthand. So I wanted to bring that experience to the newer audience who, you know, may have only played the 2018 game. And they're just kind of like, there's so many little like fine, like the Blades of Chaos, Athena. What does this all kind of mean? The Zeus? What, yeah. How does this all make sense? So to me, I think it's important to always connect the newer audience to the older audience. So that way there's a middle ground that people can just kind of enjoy the games altogether. Absolutely. Yes, and um, especially with um, Mortal Kombat um, and sort of the connective tissue there with the, the, what I hope, and I have put feelers out there, I've, I've manifested really, is both of these, um, I, I think God of War most certainly more than Mortal Kombat, but I, you know, we just had the Mortal Kombat um, sequel um, directed by our home, homegrown Aussie director, uh, uh, Simon McQuaid, I think his name is. Yeah, Simon McQuaid. He, he's great. And we're looking at getting him on the show there. Um, his thing is like, you know, this is really bloody stuff. It is cathartic, mm. escapist, power fantasy stuff. But within that framework, especially considering it's been however many years, there is meaning to be found and there's mythological archetypes to apply and you can get into a little bit of joseph campbell there was hero's journey and you can get also very emotional mm -hmm. like the beginning of of that film is actually extremely like it got to me with with scorpion and and, and sub-zero and all that uh, you know hanzo and stuff and and so basically even though once again i would definitely say god of war wins out on like who has really truly fully matured <laughs> emotionally oh, 100%. Uh, one trillion percent god of war but um but you know combat don't 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 rule it out and 
what I love that is that that really perfectly segues us into um, I think it, it's a discussion that isn't had enough even though um, you do hear people say well you know God of War has become uh, you know it, it changed it literally took its own already ingrained public persona which there is a there is a multiverse dimension where you know Corey and Shannon Studstill and Stig Asmussen they were just like God of War is what it is we're just gonna let it be this kind of what it is you know um, the Grecian experience um, uh, but we are in the universe where there was just no no one at Santa Monica wants to sit on their laurels like and that's really something to remind ourselves of is like this people they find it actually physically uncomfortable to to take their success for granted and they are in the mm -hmm. business they are in the reinvention business so that also makes Ragnarok extremely exciting because this isn't just because you can interpret it that way I want to get your thoughts on this you can interpret mm -hmm. Uh, let's just, you know, it, it succeeded and the execs, you can hear it, you and I are almost there right now, just, uh, you know, m you know, like just in terms of uh, how it would go uh, in, in this sort of little kind of vignette that I'm building conversationally, like we're in that meeting and you can hear the execs being, yeah, so it went really well, just make another one, just just take the engine, yeah. you know, make the Lake of Nine uh, ice, change two, three things, put it out, but Cal, this is not going to be that. Like, this is Santa Monica. So, no, do you want to go for it? Hundred mm. percent. No, that's that's the kind of beauty. I know. Obviously, there was a whole like oh, cool. Ooh, there goes the nope. axe. That's cool. Table, yeah. Hey, listen. You've got but, rage inside. I'm very glad that you're letting your rage out on this show. It's very important. <laughs> but that's kind of like the beauty of it. Obviously, uh, at the start of when we saw the trailers, people were kind of saying, "Oh, this looks like DLC," and I'm just kind of like. Does it fall? No. Does it fall really? Because <laughs> the thing is, it's people who are saying it on a very much so a surface level or a troll level. But the thing mm. is, literally, if you break it down frame by frame, you see like you see a ton of different realms that they're utilizing. Some of the aspects they have changed. Hell, we have different forms of transport with the wolves now as well. Yeah. You know, it everything they've got from the previous game, they're threading into this one. And that's what I kind of love about what they've done with the 2018 game and with the bare minimum of what they've shown Ragnarok because they're, they're mm. working off the framework they've had of the pre-existing game and they're like we're going to have this here I'm going to show you a little bit of it we're not going to show you all of it we're going to let you guys mm. experience it firsthand which is why I'm kind of kind of both glad yet frustrated we haven't seen so much of the promotional material but yeah. I think they they have shown enough so far I'm definitely saying there is going to be a state of play in probably about a month or two before yeah. the game's actual release but yeah. so far the game looks beautifully promising with how it's laying out the foundation and the landscape of how things will come to be um obviously there was the Jotnar edition where the map itself shows off way more than what i think anyone could have expected like I didn't even expect them to put Nighog at the very bottom of the Yggdrasil tree eating at uh, like just gnawing at its roots. I'm just kind of like, that's a fine little detail that I don't think many people would have picked up on. I actually want to talk to you about the, the realms, speaking of Yggdrasil, mm. um, these, this, this opening up of the nine realms. Something that I, I really enjoyed about the first game, it isn't necessarily something you'd associate with, with God of War right off the bat, but there was a lot of mystery to, the, to that God of War game. You know, with, with uh, the, the original trilogy and Ascension and all that, it was sort of one character after another, it was, it was one encounter after another, but 
maybe it's the very fact that they just really went, you know, absolutely like far beyond what they had done before. Maybe that's also why it, it sort of registers to me as a very, very special thing they did story-wise, especially with Tyr and like keeping, I actually posted, I'll put it in the edit now, I posted to Reddit about Laufey and the possibility that Eric might want to, considering this is the last title in the Norse games, to really like wrap everything up, you know, Laufey was specifically kept not even we didn't even see her physically in any kind of flashbacks because mm -hmm. of that one camera rule but um you know i i personally would love for not only us traveling the the nine realms but even through visions i think visions can can solve this uh this issue of like if you want to keep that kind of no cut camera would you like to see like Faye explored would you like to see her journeys through the nine realms maybe um, you know, like it through visions or something like, is that something you'd be interested in seeing? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Cause the thing is, as you've said, uh, with Santa Monica, they, they put, they've hung out like these little bits of drip feed and like, we're letting you know just the very bare minimum. But I think Ragnarok is going to be where they are going to touch on it. However, mm -hmm. I do largely suspect that if we're going to learn about what happened with Faye and I'm, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> It will probably end up being something separate as in DLC, as mm -hmm. which I do highly suspect. I'm just kind of like, would I want to see a DLC expansion of where she's like the main character during Thor's complete genocide of the Jotnars in Midgard? Mm -hmm. I'd be down to see that. She'd be fighting against some of the uh from the Asgardians. So I, I would be interested to see how that would kind of go and flow, because Obviously, it became her responsibility when she picked up the axe to kind of guard her people until she inevitably left. But mm. again, it's like the idea exists there. And hell, it, even if it was part of the main game or DLC, I, I'd super be into it. I can dig it. Nice. Also, I'm, I feel I must ask, uh, are you in the podcasting sphere? Do you have a podcast yourself? Oh, no. With uh, myself, I... This hurts my heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We need it's the, the history behind right? it. No, it's the history behind the warrior. You have extremely great. Um, I think, honestly, if Santa Monica, no, I, I know that Santa Monica Studios are listening because we, we've heard chime-ins from them. Here, I'm, I'm speaking to them. I'm speaking to him. You know, we had the, the Wisers do the um, Lost Pages of Norse Myth. Um, I mm. have, I have your uh, successor. So the Wisers, it's clear. Otherwise, they, I think they would have announced it by then if they were <laughs> right here, right now. I'm pitching to you. Please speak to my friend Cal. He, would you be like, am I right? Oh, 100%. I'd, okay. I'd love to contribute to yeah. anything kind of like God of War related. Because the thing is, like I said, I missed my opportunity when I was younger to get into the series. Now I will get as involved as much as I can. Terrific. I mean, okay. So that's me saying <laughs> that put put my producer cap on is like you you have the stuff for, for podcasting for sure. Um, buddy, I sent you um, an email just with that God of War ID thing. Um, ah, yes. I, I don't know if you have that in front of you. I've sort of memorized most of them. But what ends up happening mm -hmm. is obviously we'll go on as many, as many tangents as we like, but it does provide uh, a nice structure for where we might kind of go and, and discuss. So the classic is how did you first encounter God of War back in the day? Like the first point of mm -hmm. contact with you? Mm -hmm. Well, with God of War initially, I first came into contact with it mostly through uh, school. It was because growing up, I actually didn't have a console for the longest time. So one of my friends uh, would talk about the game all the time. And I was like, I was always super interested in it, but I was never quite involved in 
you know, seeing what was going on with it. Um, so I like, I only saw videos of it online and I only kind of got my first exposure to Kratos. Um, I going back to the topic of Mortal Kombat, um, when I played Mortal Kombat 9, um, mm. because I even bought, it was the first game I actually bought for myself, uh, ever. And then I played it and then I met the character and I was like, okay, let's see what he's about. And then I got introduced to some of the QTE events and then the tools in his arsenal, like the, the Bovo Apollo, the, the head of Helios, the Blade of Olympus. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is super cool. But after that game, it kind of like my interest, I won't say it wavered or faded. I was just focused on other games at the time. And then as an adult, you know, I'm allowed to finally be re to re be reintroduced to this character in this new generation um from this mythos that i'm a bit more familiar with than i am with uh you know the greek uh the greek mythology mm -hmm. um because i grew up on marvel comics so i was introduced mm -hmm. to four before mm -hmm. i was like someone like hercules mm -hmm. um so i went through that and i played through the game and i was just i was so engrossed by the world and its story itself and it kind of blew my mind at the fact that the Lake of the Nine could lower, just kind of like show how multi-leveled the area and design of it kind of was. Because I'd only just started getting into action-adventure games like properly, because I'd been playing Dark Souls games previously before that, as well as a few Devil May Cries. And I was just blown away by the artistic design of the area itself and the amount of heart, soul, and passion that really went into designing it worldwide and that's not even touching on you know the beautiful character development between an estranged son and a very distant father which is really the mm. heart soul and core of the story itself so when i played for it it's it blew me away honestly like i said the only reason that i i didn't want to play it again immediately because i didn't have new game plus and i'm just like <laughs> i don't want to fight those valkyries again without anything is I, yeah. I don't want to do that sacred fight Mm. But yeah, well, no, it's uh, making up for a lot of lost time when it comes to God of War. And after I completed the game, obviously I went back into it with New Game Plus. Mm -hmm. uh, I've played it a few times before. Oh well, then you're soaked. You're so you're soaked in those <laughs> scenes. You know, for example, I also just did a uh, kind of as I was editing uh, another Topic Podcast Network show, do dove into these very useful compilations of of you know all the boss battles and all the dialogues and all that. Um, you're all you always pick up on new things, like a, a line here that Balder says about uh, Odin. You know, um, all all really adds to this. Uh, to this build-up towards Ragnarok, and and the thing is, um, Ragnarok is heavily alluded to in the first game. This isn't something mm -hmm. where you know, that's that's what kind of gives gives this feel of it being that that entire story. Well, that is a very fascinating kind of point of contact story. I love <laughs> that it wasn't just one of like because again, it, it's a roll of the dice when you ask that question, especially when it comes to like how did you first encounter the topic of the show. Uh, there can be like you know, I I don't know, I I guess I really didn't find it that interesting at first, but it's like you immediately had that kind of um, that fascination. Okay, next I have to ask, and sometimes this is a bit interesting, favorite character? Of the entire series as a whole, or just entire series. You know, currently what we have? Mm -hmm. hmm. That is that is very, very difficult. So oh, actually, let's make it easy. How about favorite character of the old era and then favorite character of the new era. era? There you go. New era. So you can have All two. right. Um, Despite what she does become by the end of the original trilogy, I actually really liked Athena's character for the most part. 
you know, because she basically she she's like the original Atreus. She becomes the heart and soul of the character and is the only character amongst the corrupted Olympian pantheon that actually has any heart towards Kratos. Like they're siblings with each other. And, you know, she herself doesn't even tell him that until she dies because she knows the outcome of what kind of comes from that. It's it's the beauty of that relationship. And it's tragic in that sense because he ends up killing his own sister and she becomes the very monster, which is why I think there's a slight reflection of that in the neck in uh, obviously the 2018 game of Atreus because he sees what can happen to someone from one single bad decision he can make. And I think like the idea of, you know, corrupting a beloved one is what does haunt him and mm -hmm. kind of reflects over into that relationship. So I love that influence from it. Um, which is why I love her appearance in the 2018 game because it's sparing and it's just enough to reflect on the guilt he does still like share and feel across from it. Mm. Um, as for the current and new game, um, obviously Kratos would be the most easy one to mm -hmm. go for because of the redemption arc. But uh, I also I have a soft spot for Brock. Uh, I can't <laughs> nice. tell. It either might be his rugged nature or the fact that he's, he's, he's like an Englishman without the accent. He's just yeah. very to the point, very, yeah. very <laughs> brash. But, um, um, yeah, so I, I so much for finding. When I, we were talking to the the voice actor uh, Robert, <laughs> um, Robert Craighead, and and he he's such a sweet guy. When I spoke with him, but but Brock is is so foul mouthed, and like like he'll he'll make me rethink like what foul mouth is, and just so gross, like yes. Granny Snickers and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I can like that. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, uh, also, I think at this point, it's time to finally unveil my conspiracy theory about um, uh, the at least the brothers, Sindri, uh, being based on Frasier. <laughs> All right, hear me out. This is uh, like this is like the lowest. This is the lowest levels of the God of War um, iceberg. This is actually you witnessing right now an, a, a layer of undercrust being added to the God of mm -hmm. War iceberg. This is happening right now with you on the episode. So we have a very neurotic brother who's very like germophobic, right? That's Sindri. Mm -hmm. Niles Crane. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Thank okay. you. They come from two completely different life philosophies, Jungian and Freudian. Brock mm. physically resembles with the sort of the, 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 the fading hairline and the face, you know, mm -hmm. Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer was blue in X-Men 3. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Um, the Jotnar edition, here's the images, mm. people, looks exactly, has the same color scheme as the complete set of Fraser edition. The yellow and the skyline. That's actually very, I, I never would have thought about that in my entire life. You know, that's Listen, actually really good, though. That's okay, really good, though. We, we just have a bit of fun. And hopefully, I, what I want to do is I want to catch one of the SSM people out and be like, fuck, they got, he got us. Like, he fucking, he, <laughs> he, you know. So we have fun, we get serious, we, we get mythological, and we will definitely as we go along. But I had to just throw some of that to you there. And now it's, it's off my chest. <laughs> Um, but I actually want to talk to you about uh, chromatic uh, symbolism. So are you familiar with the rough correlations of like orange, the color of pursuit, blue, the color of passive, um, passivity? Uh, I can't and... say I am. Okay, so Vince Gilligan tapped into this a lot with Breaking Bad. Uh, green is, is the color of money. 
it's also the color of sickness, which is mm -hmm. uh, Breaking Bad is saturated in those two themes. Uh, yellow also is like pus, but also opportunity, sunlight. Uh, you know, that's why, and the idea of corruption, pus and, and decay and illness taking place underneath one's very own nose in, 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 un, under mm -hmm. the sun. So symbolically that represents, you know, for example, I think, you know, Better Call Soul is one of the greatest prequels, one of the greatest written things. You can tell that, like with Last of Us, even God of War, it's, it's no coincidence that God of War and Last of Us are getting TV adaptations. It's because the dialogue uh -huh. really taps into this. If you look across um, the first game, red is extremely prominent. Um, and from the logo, which I'll just show the two, you know, the Rormungandr, uh, uh -huh. yeah, so the red circle, for the, the logo of 2018, and then the ice, you know, for, for, for Ragnarok. So the, the, the forging, the flame, and then the cooling of the world, which is which parallels um, the two realms pre-existence in um, Norse pantheon. So red into blue uh, and uh, yellow has this this color of um, uh, has this connotation of um, I mean, Odin is a, is a very sick man. He's like he's he's insane, you know, and I think mm -hmm. uh, but also Laufey, you know, ye yellow also again represents that warmth as well. So I'll just throw that to you in terms of chromatic symbolism. And have, has there been anything you've picked up uh, just in terms of that in your explorations symbolically? It has, but it has been very subtle. I haven't really thought about it or like talked about it now till you've actually mentioned it to me. But it does make a lot of sense, obviously, of the yellow and use of the blues as well. It could mm -hmm. always like resemble coldness, distance. Mm -hmm. um, red, even like symbolic of danger and violence, which mm -hmm. I, I suppose does line up with, you know, when you do like a QTE finisher and like a troll or a draw oh. or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, actually, that does make a lot of sense. Now, now that you've pointed it out, that, that's actually a really good point. I'll keep that in mind. Actually, I'm glad. That's really, well, I come really from the, thing. I come from 70, 80 almost episodes of Kojima analysis during the Death Stranding, the path to Death Stranding. Ah. We were just, we, I was, um, I was looking at Sam, the word Sam, and then Samsara, like the, the never ending reincarnation, and uh, Samuel L. Beckett, and some of that sort of stuff. So it's, it, you know, Kojima would probably be like, I was like not thinking about that at all, you know, but what mm -hmm. our t my tenant on across topic podcast network is, is if it made you think about something different, uh, if you sort of were scooping around this thing, trying to find another angle of inquiry, it was worthwhile unto itself, because that's actually like, it's like the equivalent of the gym for your mind and for your lateral thinking. It's just worthwhile unto itself to, to look at making these connections. Obviously, Frasier iceberg stuff will happen as a consequence <laughs> um but there you go okay let us press on um favorite setting favorite location of of the game oh you mean of the oh, oh, oh let's, let's go the... let's go 2018 oh. yeah because i know that most people oh. are tuning in for that yeah i i really like the 2018 setting i i, I just mm -hmm. think due to the nature of like a barren wasteland which is like which basically is etched in mm. what feels like Nordic runes, basically from start to finish that kind of tell this broken story. It's always beautiful from the start to the finish. And, you know, whilst I love what the previous games have done, but they're very linear in that sense mm. of go here, go here, murder everything, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I get, you know, I, I enjoy that, but it's like, it's the difference between like having a game game and then having like a more of a cinematic immersed experience. Mm -hmm. And there, there are certain aspects which I think really benefit 
both of the series in different ways. Um, like, I still really enjoy a lot of the older games, but mm -hmm. I think what allowed me to really enjoy the 2018 game that much more was just like, it wasn't just the, the setting alone, but it's like, it's a familiar character. And I wouldn't say Kratos was one dimensional before the fourth game, but on the surface level, he kind of was, which is what I was first introduced to. But mm. as you start breaking away those layers, you start understanding the character a little bit better and the grief that he kind of goes through a little bit more. And I think that also complements what we get in game of how cold the world is and how he kind of represents it. Whereas mm -hmm. Atreus is like this bright, in fact, we're going back to the colors of what you've uh, you've gone. I mean, his, his default costume is yellow, for God's sake. You it's know, yellow. it represents that, that sunrise and the, the goodness that can the be mother. from... You know yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. and I, I think that's what really complements the entire story as a whole. And by the end of it, you know they work in unison, and you kind of get this full story. And I think both setting and characters kind of complement each other and go hand in hand. Mm, I like that. Yeah, man. Um, it's I love that you went in the you know choosing between the Greek and the Norse and stuff. Um, one thing I actually thought was uh, locations as well within 2018 titles. So what realms and what kind of place that you enjoy mm. the soundscapes of the ambiance of? Because then I'll just put that in the background of this episode, whichever you pick. Alfheim, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe. Uh, actually, it's funny you bring that. Uh, I have a super big soft spot, th despite the nature of it. Uh, Helheim. Um, because wow. I, yeah, that's the beautiful. Because yeah. uh, here's the thing, right? Uh, before I did content creation, uh, I was the studio engineer and I worked in the industry mm. for a few years before that. And I actually wanted to transition as a Foley artist into gaming. Love now, it. because of that, I have an ear for it. And I'm just mm. like, when I was in Helheim, I'm like, I love every bit of sound design that, like, I love how my feet sound as I'm like, I'm walking across the ice. Uh, when I'm using the Blades of Chaos to basically whip the mm -hmm. soul and like throw it into a different uh, capsule. Like everything about that sounds great because it's so ambient mm -hmm. and it's so, I'd say it's kind of empty in its, in its openness. Mm -hmm. I suppose that's one way of doing it. It's very, very terrifying and i think that's what allows you to capture that hellheim feel of just like this cold derelict place that mm. no one really should be i um i also think of the approach to mimir you know uh that that sort of ridge mountain ridge you're walking along and just seeing sort of the, the snow go down and you can actually hear that because crunching snow you know cut to a clip mm. it's it's got some asmr qualities i guess but it's <laughs> it's um it's uh it is it's weirdly yeah like zenning and immersive with, with, with some of these settings and i regularly just i'll just chuck on like god of war ambiance to just you know to space mm -hmm. out to um but you know it's so funny you bring up audio engineering and i think you should like look into that and i like how you've you've ended up in that sphere where you're you know your, your mic and everything audio wise sounds like top notch with, with your Thank channel you. um I was because uh, right now a lot of Lord of the Rings things are happening literally as as we're speaking mm. over in um, Comic Con uh, with the you know Bear McCreary landing the gig <coughs> as, mm. as the um, yeah Bear McCreary landing the gig as composer for Rings of Power so that's huge for him that going from God, of, from God of War to Lord of the Rings um, but you know Tolkien connects those two through his uh, shared love of mythology anyway I was um, 
I was the I also had the fellowship on for a while, just in the background. And then I had God of War in the background, and I was like, okay, clearly the audio engineers took some inspiration from just the 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 audioscape of of those Jackson films. Uh with mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm saying this now to all listeners, viewers, go check it out. Bring up two, you know, bring up like a scene from Fellowship, just the clinking of armor, you know, the the subtle the, the stuff that like fully nerds like that you and I would notice, you know, the rustling oh, yeah. of a, of a piece of leather, you know, all this stuff which is, you know, as Lucas said, like it's fifty percent of the experience, the music and the sound effects, huge, one hundred percent, so vastly criminally underappreciated for for when it comes to basically anything. <laughs> yeah, it's. You know? it's very very true it's actually uh it's one of the reasons why i funny enough i always put music in the background of my videos because yeah. i happen to find that, that helps engagement and immersion because you know i don't think people really appreciate and understand how fundamentally important music is or mm-hmm. sound design in general is for anything that is done in the medium and yeah. uh you know you never really realize how weird it is till you mute like a particular scene like let's say it's the superhero suit up scene Mm-hmm. You hear everything clinking and locking in. That sounds great. You stick it on mute. It's a bit stale. <laughs> yeah. Um, oral knots. You've just made me think of them. Do you know about oral knots? Oh my god. I know I'm, the name. I have the privilege of basically maybe you know maybe oh, as soon as I mention what they've done, you'll recognize them. But if I am introducing you, I feel very honored. So oral knots. They're a team of comedic audio engineers. So there's the bad lip reading guys. They do their thing. But oral knots is they take oh. scenes. Yeah, they take scenes like I'm just gonna cut to a mini clip here. So that was uh, the um, metal scene in the 1977 Star Wars, but without any John Williams music. <laughs> it's just this because it's so quiet. Everyone's just standing there, and it's just hallway sounds, and there's no music clearly, no diegetic music. There's no band playing, so it's this. It just sort of highlights like yeah, without John Williams and and without you know, you take away these certain elements, and it's actually really funny because the people are coughing. <laughs> Like in the while Han Solo, <laughs> Han Solo is getting his medal and stuff, and um, and the way that they make Chewbacca sound, I'll send you the clip later. He doesn't. Let's just oh, say he doesn't sound, do so. doesn't sound like a Wookiee. I now <laughs> is the moment which I'm going to start a regular segment. Rest in peace, gratitude. Fucking gratitude, actually, her first name. I love that creature, Cal, and the fact that Brock devoured her really upset me. Um, I hope that she comes back at the at the twilight of the gods <laughs> this beautiful beast of burden I mean, she was so cool she was like a torn torn mixed with like an emu mm-hmm. so yeah 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 the thing is you never really realize how twisted that story kind of is till you see brock next time and he's just got he's got like a ball of soup and you're like oh, no. hold up why <laughs> well like what's what's your problem Corey? that was such a great character design anyway um let us press on <laughs> Um, the music, I mean, while we're on the topic of music, uh, I, you know, I'll just say mine, I guess it's, you know, Lullaby of the Giants. I'll, I, I have very much said like Siri, play, l- l- l-. she's going to probably start playing it. Lullaby of the Giants by, by Ben McCreary. Do you have a favorite mm-hmm. music, music theme for God of War 2018? I think, I can't remember the exact name and it might be the name, but yeah, I don't think it's actually part of the official soundtrack. I think it's called Blood and Echoes, mm-hmm. which is the soundtrack uh, that was specifically used for when Kratos reclaims the Blades of Chaos. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's actually on the main soundtrack itself. I think that was actually kept in game, but it is uh, luckily, you know, people on YouTube just going to rip it out of the game's files oh, yeah. and just plop it on there. Um, luckily, I was li- able to finally get around to sitting and listening to that, and I'm like, this is a beautiful bit of music, and it's so yeah. well. It's so well composed because, you know, it crescendos into this large, beautiful scene and it works off the framework of what was already previously established. It's like a, it's a bit of a combination between the game's main theme and a, a mesh of the Valkyrie theme as well. Mm. Um, and I just, I love that sort of stuff because, again, I was a giant music nerd for, for the longest time. So I, I can't help but love the suspense and payoff that uh, music like that really, really does. My man. Yeah, I agree, dude. Speaking of Valkyries, you know, she, she's she's coming for them. It's it's Freya. It's uh, mm-hmm. Danielle Basuti, who is, again, such a very sweet person, but she's going to really be diving into some darkness with this one. Yes. Um, because, you know, Atreus was this force, this energy that really tried to kind of get her to, to connect with the, the reality. Like Kratos, you know, was basically busy fending her off, but you know that idea of atreus there were, and there was that bittersweet moment in, in in 2018 where you kind of maybe picture them becoming a little family unit you know mm-hmm. um with kratos and freya you know and and then you know atreus having a mother again and and the tragedy there is is that she didn't take that that timeline she didn't accept that extended hand of that could be something we could do we could recognize recognize who and what Baldur had become um, but now she's, it's just only, you know, only rage remained. I guess that's one refrain from the mm-hmm. last game is, is she, uh, it's, and here's the art featured in the deluxe edition. It's very much her on the pursuit. Interestingly, mm-hmm. I need to say this. We have the Jotnar edition that has the three pins and one of them represents Laufey's hawk. We also see Freya turning into a hawk. So yes. interesting. I wonder if that's intentional. Any thoughts on that? Uh, well, uh, the hawk itself, obviously that's supposed to be associated with, uh, Laufey, but mm-hmm. Faye, um, the reason why she can do that is actually, uh, it's the cloak that she wears. I'm not sure if you know about Cloak this. of feathers. The cloak of feathers, bingo. So it was the thing that came along with the Draupnir ring, Mjolnir, and, uh, the spear itself. And it's a very unique tool. So I think, you know, they're always, they're you know, Santa Monica, they're very subtle, but if you know you pick up on it, you know they're always hinting at the idea of it. Um, I think the idea of possibly a somewhat family being made out of the three of them is indeed in the works and it's very much so possible. Oh, just, I, that would be wonderful. Oh gosh, that would be like, you know, how we all thought Sirius Black was going to be the villain all throughout. What if like maybe mm-hmm. one quarter into the story through, it's like, sorry, we, we, we have bigger fish to fry. You know, the Aragnok mm. is coming, and what a great, what a beautiful notion that we've been sort of hoodwinked, but in the, in the best way, where like Freya mm. becomes an ally. Oh, wow. I well, love that. That's what I think the importance of Freya will be to the story, because we've, we've already hinted at the, the concept and the idea of him still being around. I think that if, you know, we get that interaction between Freya and Freya, Mm-hmm. We get that revelation of, you know, Freya, she isn't quite as alone as she had suspected. There is still a family element to that relationship. And maybe she can understand that, you know, her wrongs. Because I doubt she holds any malice towards um, Atreus. You know, it, at the end of the day, all of that was an accident. The only person who 
really did any of the killing was Kratos. And, you know, that is his burden to bear, and it's one mm. that he will and he must bear. Mm. So I, I don't think that, you know, that will be much of an issue throughout the entirety of the story, because it's effectively Freya working by herself, because I don't see her working with the ACM. I think mm. even if she were to meet, like, Thor or Odin, I think straight up she would get into a fight with them. Yeah, I, I think with the Valkyrie wings on her side as well as like, you know, when you when you're someone who has nothing to lose, that's a terrifying person. Mm. And so, if for Odin were to get in her way, I think she would try to purposely, uh, physically dismantle them so that way yeah. she could get to Kratos. That like mm. that is the like how I see the tunnel vision of this character working until there's a form of. Rev like a revelation of sorts that allows her to come to terms with her own loss and grief. Yeah. And we we I mean I don't know sort of collectively say that this this is how everyone, you know, everyone thinks about this, but I, I love when we see characters it's just something satisfying about someone moving through something like healthily, uh, or at least, mm -hmm. you know, ending up somewhere which isn't what I sometimes find is is a bit too common, which is um, they will deliberately again the storytellers, the writers, which again we don't have to worry about this with Santa Santa Monica. They they regularly prove that they like to take the challenging timeline, the worthwhile timeline. Like the sitting on your laurels version of this is just making Freya an outright villain right to the end, and just kind of undermining all of that beautiful nuance of the first title you know with her and odin mm -hmm. and and balder as well so there's no risk of that so just to anyone listening uh pushing their prams or or, or mowing their lawn <laughs> you can rest assured cal has has guaranteed and i i also um, i also con i also um take that same stance that the complexities of freya will will be explored for sure um for sure so incoming characters odin thor Dalin? It's not Dalin. Who's the that awesome octopus dwarf? Oh, uh, Derlin. Derlin, excuse me, yes. Yes. Um, which, if you actually look now, here's the Wikipedia article on the screen in the edit. Uh, Derlin, there is an uh, etymological link uh, to Dwalin and to uh, all of that sort of Tolkienian kind of what he does with those beautiful names. That's right. Yeah. So, how basically. Yeah, how Gand uh, how Gandalf and Al Gand is is Alf uh, is like old elder elf, you know, old elder mm -hmm. being, you know. So etymologically, that'll be interesting. We have um, we have some some basis there to speculate. He he does very much evoke uh, simply a merchant uh, that might maybe look look at maybe expanding a certain heretofore, you know. We had Brock and Sindri, you know, upgrading those kinds of weapons. But what are your speculations on Durlin's role and, and what he might offer story-wise and mechanics-wise? Honestly, it, it's so hard to kind of tie that down because, again, it's a case of a character that's kind of like fresh and new and there's very, these very minor ideas that we can only take away from what we have seen. But he seems like a scholar of sorts that, you know, understands the world that he's in. But... You know, I, I think that there's there might be a bit of a sinister side to the character because if, you know, it's so uh, so to be believed where um, Tia's, Tia has been imprisoned, mm -hmm. I think he may be serving as someone who's trying to guarantee the imprisonment of Tia 
maybe on someone's behalf of Odin. Uh, that is a uh, that's speculation on my part. Okay. Um, because I have I some mean, text for you. I, th I think because you're you're very um, you, you do so well with these these you know putting these pieces together. So just to to mm. to, to feed the the cow furnace of knowledge in Norse mythology, Durin <laughs> or Durin, uh, and they just added the L in there because what Corey, what I love that God of War are doing, as in Santa Monica, are doing is they're saying na na na. We're telling the actual version. See. That was just a misspelling, you know. For example, there's a IGN editor back in the day. He's like, "Yeah, my name's Marty Sliva, S L I V A," but I am certain that just that that was just at some point my great 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 grandfather was getting off a ship, and they misread they 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 misspelled his name, and now it's Sliva, you know. Um, so <laughs> Durin Durlin, you know, and I like the word Durlin; it's kind of cool. So according to stanza ten of the poem Voluspa. From the poetic edda and repeated in uh, the gilfagining from the prose edda he was the second created after the first and foremost dwarf Motsognir. so and the first and foremost dwarf which might be his brother i don't know um uh Hauksbok manuscript variant he who drinks in courage is the ruler of the dwarves uh, in, because again, we're going to Svartalfheim, we'll probably get introduced to, to that kind of, you know, the hierarchy, the, the kingdom, who's the ruler there. Clearly, it looks like a more populated area. So Durlin mm -hmm. might be this like, you know, he has this really sort of haughty royal brother and he's just chosen this kind of uh, a lot less sort of um, a lot more understated kind of life uh, he, because he doesn't really look kind of noble or royal. But um, mm -hmm. uh, but he is attested in the Hervarar saga, where he forged the magic sword Tirfing with the help of the dwarf Dvalin, so D-V-A-L-I-N. In variant text of the saga, Durin is known as Dulin. So there's the, the L there. Mm. Uh, and obviously, um, Tolkien uh, took that word and then turned it into Durin's folks, the dwarves. So he seems mm. etymologically, mythologically, an extremely important dwarf. So I think we might be mm -hmm. looking at a a bit of a, something very grand just under our noses, which very few people I feel are talking about. That is very, that's actually really important to point out because mm. I didn't know of this relation until you literally pointed out just now. That's going to be very interesting for me to look in. Um, mm. Mm. And so talking about the hierarchy as well, even if there is some find of a relation, um, mm. I want to see if there's any ties of him as well to uh, some of the dwarves that get turned into dragons or even a dwarven king from the 2018 mm. game. There that's very right. well could be some relation there, it's, you know. Again, when it comes to Santa Monica, they love throwing out these little things where I'm kind of connecting them. So I, I think I'd be interested to see how that goes because he sounds like more of a major figure than I could have anticipated. Because like I said, I, I've, I've, I have my ideas, but mm -hmm. they're kind of up on like that crazy board. I feel like I'm Charlie from It's Always Summer with like, cool. my crazy board <laughs> behind me. But no, that's Safe actually space. super interesting to learn. <laughs> I can dig it, man. So a little extra, a little bit here. Uh, with the Avatar podcast, we say the home tree of trust. In here, we say the Yggdrasil tree of trust. It's like no idea is too crazy. <laughs> uh, he is identified specifically. This is Durlin's brother, who I, I really hope, considering how grand he is, it would be a shame if we if they just omitted him. I think they really should. So Motsognir, Lord of all the dwarves, according to Snorri Sturluson. Uh, uh, the dwarves had taken shape first and acquired in the flesh of Ymir and were the maggots, but by decision of the gods became conscience, became conscious with intelligence and had the shape of men, though they live in the earth and in the rocks. Mozognir was a dwarf and the second was Dudin. So that's, you know, especially with how scattered and 
you know, in very, and that's why it's so ripe for, um, you know, speculative, like, ah, oh, unearthing mm -hmm. of what the truth is. It's so, it's very Miyazaki in that way. It's like you can really dive in and, and create these big swaths of, of new lore. Uh, especially with that, they can have a lot of fun narratively with that. Zwartalfheim is going to be interesting um, because the dwarves, you know, I mean, Mjolnir, first of all, and again, the, the very presence of Mjolnir in the Jotnar edition and the presence, I mean, again, that, that narratively uh, um, indicates that the significance of these weapons, you know, Leviathan and, 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 and uh, the, the role that the dwarves had in in basically precipitating Ragnarok in many ways, because, mm -hmm. you know, Ragnarok uh, is, um, I think the the etymology of it is a great smoke coming up, like reek, rag, like this, this stuff there etymologically, I'll put it on the screen. Um, and that's that's war being wrought, and war is wrought with weapons, and dwarves made the weapons. So, mm -hmm. and I just love that. It's very much, this is, you know, Zvartalheim is the Rohan in this case. It's the realm that we didn't see in the first, yes. you know, Fellowship, if that was 2018. In this one, it's this brand new realm, and we're going to see, just like how we were introduced to Theoden and and and, and Grima Wormtongue in that, I just can't wait for them to arrive in Zvartalheim, a brand new realm, and just what's going on here, and what's happened to the Dwarven King, what do we have to do here? Um, so that's that realm. Um, and mm -hmm. uh our other realm that we're going to be stepping into that has Lenel. I'll bring them all up because I, I want to talk about each of them. The Nor the nine oh, realms. Shoot. Absolutely. Nine realms of Norse myth. Did you see my um, thing on the Instagram of like the significance of nine, you know, of, of, you know, how this game is coming out on, on, on. Oh you know, yeah. yeah exactly. no, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. I dig it. Yeah. Okay. Niflheim, Muspelheim, Asgard, Midgard, Jotunheim, Vanaheim, Alfheim, Svartalfheim, and Helheim. So we've seen Helheim. We've seen so Vanaheim. All right. Yes. Okay. Angerboda. I'm very interested to see what's going on with that because the thing is, like, if we're going to the mythological counterpart, um, Angerboda doesn't play that big of a role in hindsight. Yeah. Mm. But. Again, in these games, it's very clear and it's very true that they're able to take those games and kind of mesh and meld them in different ways. And I'm just, I'm interested to see what what their interpretation of the character is going to be. Mm. And, you know, again, tin for your hat theory, um, since they've been given, giving Atreus or, or Loki, for that matter, all these different abilities, Spartan Rage, um telepathy and even the ability to see into the future on his mother's part how what sort of unique ability would angra boda have because you know she may be mother of the monsters but there has to be more to a character like something that fundamentally important to the story than just oh i have i i have a wolf a undead kind of lady and a giant snake as a kid mm-hmm so, uh, again, if, if I were to kind of toy around with the ideas, I think she might be the catalyst or she might know something about that time travel aspect they've hinted at, mm. if anything. Because, again, the ability of foresight is a very powerful one. Yes, that's right. The The, the time travel aspect is, is going to get properly blown open, I think, in this one. Because um, we have to reconcile 
whether it's going to be through a again misinterpretation of the text because Corey could be like no 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 Snorri listen to me I know I've been there I went to the Norse realms this is what you got wrong it wasn't Loki giving birth to a snake you know it wasn't Angerboda giving birth to a snake it was and then we'll see what Eric and Matt Sophos and Alana Pierce and everyone came up with mm-hmm. but there could be a thing of, of a conjuring of some kind and there could be a thing of a a dimensional curse or something where it's like this was so the beckoning forth of you can play a lot with that 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 etymology of birth and, and creation and begetting mm-hmm. of so i actually think that because angerboda like just you know visually again with with loki as well there's um there's nothing really to indicate that these people could be capable of, of spawning you know these these beasts um but there you go um i have some stuff here about vanaheim to sort of throw you away and you can oh shoot your, yeah, very yeah. yeah they're very very edifying mind too okay so the in the attestations of Valum, val of vanheim in chapter 23 of the prose edda the enthroned figure of high says that njordir was raised in vanheim but was later sent as a hostage to the aesir once again, we're looking at potentially a Peter Jacksonian conflation of characters. So he might be interested in like, oh, I'm so stoked. I'm, I'm very fascinated by what that insert sub character like Uller or something like. I want I want that story, but I don't necessarily want to bring that character in and and create a whole new thing for the audience to worry about. But I want some of that, and then so I could see some of that folding into Tyr, and I could see, you know, this is the idea of imprisonment mm-hmm. and stuff. So. Um, uh, Van Home, or the home of the Vanir, described and located around uh, the Don River, which Snorri writes was once called the Tana Fork or Vana Fork, uh, which we do see like, like you know, rivers and stuff there. Chapter 4 mm-hmm. describes the Aesir Vanir war, noting that during a hostage exchange, the Aesir sent the god Hoenir to Vanaheim, and there he was immediately made chieftain. Um, Hoenir uh, obviously reminds me of Heimdallar. I love what they did with Alistair Duncan. Uh, with the idea of the pet name, did you like that? How it's like, no, 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 that's not two characters. That's, um, you know, Odin had a pet name, Frigga. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I thought that was a really nice. That was a very smart way of doing it. Really you know, it was always going to be one of those things where people were going to pick up and point it out, and they were like, yeah, we know about that. We're going to have our own little small little play on it. Indeed. Indeed, I'm bringing out the actual edits, by the way. This is Justin Sweet who illustrated them. We read off of them in the last episode. Oh. This is an heirloom edition. Uh, Stephen Oakley, um, actually, who, like, him and Vance Kovacs, like, follow each other and stuff. I think he may even have worked on something adjacent. I figured I would also, you know, I, we read the entirety of the pretty short, admittedly, Ragnarok chapter um, on the last one, so... I just figured, you know, why not go to the actual text itself for some of these things? Um, but there's a few more things here that... Uh, um, <coughs> da, 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 that's okay. So theories. Is, this is huge for, 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 for what we're talking about, obviously, in this uh, mm-hmm. like rapidly approaching release date. I just, for me, especially with all the other things happening, I, I don't like to... I kind of try to say a bit like, um, you know, omnivorous when it comes to following certain things i know that our respective what we each do maybe there's the algorithm being like make more of this but i like that you're eclectic and that yes. you, you you're interested in other things um it's actually it's quite funny in that sense because um as much as i love talking about this game uh i try to not be so so engrossed of it so that way i can mm-hmm. still be surprised um 
Thank Plus, you. YouTube algorithms never uh, on my side. Um, a no. weird fun <laughs> fact, I suppose, um, that some people don't know about me when it comes to content creation. Uh, when I start working on content in a particular field, I do not at all watch any content from any Good. other content creators associated with what I make. Because I'm just like, you know, everyone too. has their own take and, you know, enjoys and absorbs it. I don't want to subconsciously take someone's idea without realizing it. Because, you know, again, I only like make content that I myself would like to want Bless to you. see. Because I feel like it's more genuine that way, you know? Oh, thank you for existing, man. Like I said, I, I knew I wasn't. <laughs> I knew I had the, I just had that immediate connection of like, this, it's just oversaturated. You. Sure, you'd maybe attain that those extra kind of dopamine things of like, oh, more subscribers, but it's just, we just watched some Barry actually, it's not spoiling too much, but there's a scene where someone's like, why are you canceling, insert spoiler? And the person said like, no, you know, I've been in this business for 30 years and I've, all I've realized is that the only person that's right is the algorithm. And it was so heartbreaking because um, then you don't get the cows, you don't get the topic podcast networks, you just get these like, leering thumbnail trying to get your attention hollow shallow bullshit and i just like how we both unchained ourselves from that and it's good yeah you know making good things good from passion i feel to me is is better than churning it out on the machine yeah dude yeah man all right before we move on from vanaheim the chief gods freya and njord with a number of others are represented along with the aesir and asgard but it seems probable that it was in the underworld uh, Davidson notes a connection between the Vanir and the land spirits who dwelt in mounds and hills and in the water. Um, so it's weird that there's a, an interesting connection being drawn between Venaheim and, and the underworld. Um, you know, the land of the spirits, the land of nature spirits and stuff, spirits, death, underworld. I, what I'm potentially, that, that leads me to, like, I don't know if... Uh, because especially with, with Idrisil kind of like breaking apart and everything and going up in flames mm -hmm. or whatever. I, I'm wondering with, with the, the Dwarves' ability to kind of flick between the realms and stuff, is if we might actively, as we're going through, like the, maybe, maybe the thing that Eric Williams has been keeping from us is the idea that, no, 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 I've, I've actually figured out a way where you can just go between, like we have the power of next gen, we figured out some of the kinks, like mm -hmm. maybe there's a certain place in the, ge the geography of Helheim where you can actually enter Venaheim and somewhere in Venaheim where you can just make your way to... You know, um, or or we just surprise twist. We we get to ride Radatoskar like Falcor. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's definitely that's definitely one way of doing it. Yeah. But I think the exploration of that is also very interesting in itself because what you could also do with like that idea and concept alone is actually draw the connections between Cedar Magic and its mm. resurrection properties and what does come from Hill. Um, obviously, you know, hell itself, it's like, it is a temporary underworld, you know, you get cast there, you're stuck there for God knows how long uh, amount of time mm. it operates in its own time. But it would be very interesting in that sense to see if they were to try and make that connection, even if that be a small or minor one, mm. um, because we will be going back to hell. Um, I, I, the, the cloth mat, I'm pretty sure spoiled. Uh, oh, a yeah. rather important character. I mean, we, we've already seen that character in the Father Son trailer, so I feel like mm. I could say who that is, but I don't yeah. want to give it away for those cool. who you know want to go in quite blind. But um, I, I feel like that that's a really fun idea. And again, it's just like making these little connections from these things that have been laid out. 
we might see more from the ominous looming bird in hell as well that strange oh, figure that a lot of people um had many thoughts of well that actually with our all with our sort of yggdrasil branching things that kind of closes off our um sort of god of war id thing um we've also again done some speculation on, on what the game um will be ragnarok obviously um i was thinking of calling this episode the beginning of the end but we'll see something we'll figure out <laughs> but you'll hear hb i'd say it's a history behind the warrior i, f I feel like calling yeah, it HB yeah. hbt in almost most people you, do so don't worry hbt yeah it's not bad it kind <laughs> yeah, of most people time. do and then you have hbt history behind the cooking history you're gonna it's just <laughs> hbt empire baby <laughs> you know you could I'm, I'm serious like that could be an interesting way to like really because you have such you have such an eclectic sort of ethos and i find those to be the most interesting people so you could be like HBT history, history, history behind like the theme park rides or whatever. Anyway, that's just me yeah. speculating. <laughs> well, um, I mean, to be fair, you you aren't half too wrong because I was kind of debating what the channel wanted to be during its inception. Oh, okay. uh, I was originally actually this goes back to my love for mythology as well. Mm -hmm. um, I originally wanted to kind of base the channel on uh, the Fate series. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Is it a, a novel series, the Fate series? So the Fate series, it's basically, it's a Japanese anime and it's based off a visual novel from the early 2000s. And the concept is, is basically there are nine magicians that summon heroes or legends from time nice. to the present. And those heroes could be gods. Uh, and I think that's where my love for mythology really kind of sprung forth because in one of the series, they bring forth like Gilgamesh, Hercules, uh, die mood of the beauty spot from Irish legend and you get all like these characters and obviously they're different from the mythological counterparts but it's still kind of interesting to see them under a different lens and perspective mm. and you know that that's originally one of the uh, concepts of the channel at mm. the start and there was actually and someone actually picked up on it afterwards so I, I need to apparently trademark it um I actually was just thinking about horror because I'm actually a massive horror buff. I love watching. We, oh my god, this is you're seriously yeah. like a, a brother. <laughs> seriously, I love horror. Kindred spirit, my friend. Kindred spirit. And the funny thing is, is that I didn't jump on that. And there's actually a channel called History Behind the Horror, oh. who uh, basically did the same thing. So I, in a way, I'm actually kind of glad that I didn't make it because okay. someone else does it, and I don't have to do the homework. Hey. I can just sit back and watch it now. Enjoy but, it. Uh, I still it's think you should be nice like, it is nice to see. I think we should, because I, I do this thing with just like talking with family trees is topic podcast network. And then you have interactive and then within interactive, there's PlayStation, Xbox and Nintendo. And within those sub feeds, there's last of us, you know, under the PlayStation there's last of us horizon, God of war and all that. And you can break it down even more. Um, so I, I just recently did the horror film. It's just called the the horror film podcast, and then underneath Ooh, that, okay. you know, it's the scream podcast. Because this, it's so funny. You might think it's like this is getting very granular. How could you have a sustained conversation about like scream? It's like you'd be surprised. Some people have so oh, yeah. many wonderful anecdotes about watching scream and like things they've noticed, and it's just, it's you know, the podcasting era has really broken up, broken out um, that I that that possibility of like everything being discussable in the podcast format. And I just like finding those gaps of like, you know, the Mars Volta, this prog band, like, um, you know, they, uh, 
they have a, it's it of all the topic podcast network shows it's, it goes like avatar is the most popular because people are getting really hyped for that then it goes um yeah the mars volta which is this prog band which people were like really looking forward to them reu reuniting and they did recently like and i liked it a, a small very humble part of me thinks like we somehow had like just because i specifically like i want to create a show about this thing which no one has a podcast about that when you again that hbt moment of like i'm so grateful this channel exists because it's exactly what i've been looking for that they like the best version of what you do man i'm serious like hbt that word that name is going to be discussed in ssm with the next god of war like they want they're going to be bringing up the metrics of your channel be like look we were looking at these prominent god of war analysis channels and because this person went there and proved that there's a massive amount of interest in Kratos meeting Amaterasu, in Kratos meeting Kuklain, I think that's how you say his name, this Irish hero, mm -hmm. you know, going to um, the the court, the fairy king court, and maybe meeting some of those people that uh, that Mimir served with. Um, because of that, now this will happen. So that really blurs that line, almost makes the line disappear entirely between creator and community. And I find that to also mm -hmm. be something that we do, which isn't just sort of flapping lips we're actually maybe providing material that can be bounced off of and 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 end up in any in some way even a small way like influencing um you know studios and stuff so so you're doing great work yep. there with with that no, now it's very much now you're in the hot seat which of the three egypt japan or um the celtic mythos where are we going where are we going or where would i like to see us go give me both and it can be uh, it can be more I than think... those you can yeah go I mean, hey, man, the safe pick is always going to be Egypt, just from like okay. what we've seen of the concept artwork. And I mean, hell, I'd be very interested in seeing that as well, because, you know, Egypt's full of a bunch of gods. And I think everyone's still probably hiding a bit of that hide from uh, Moon Knight as well. So I feel Vince like Kovacs. the idea of those gods. I'm yeah. sorry, he's a, he's a shared concept artist from Moon Knight. He just showed some of his Amet stuff that he did. He worked on both God of War and Moon Knight. So maybe people might be primed that so you're onto that man. very very astute of you yeah mm -hmm. also fun fact uh the writer for uh moon knight is also doing the next mortal kombat movie so oh come on so <laughs> it's all connected the ice oh yeah it's, it's all <laughs> interjoined <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, talking yeah, about some Frasier. interesting stuff yeah <laughs> there's some interesting stuff when it comes to egypt as for what i would like to see um from my own interest of it, because it's it's the only pantheon itself that I I say I've made myself familiar with would definitely be the Shinto pantheon, uh, mm. the Japanese pantheon, mostly because I, I again conceptually I think from an artistic standpoint, um, and if even if we are to bring in other games influences like Ghost of Tsushima, there's clearly an interest in that market for that world itself. But because of, you know, the difference between Western and Eastern culture, I feel like a game like God of War set in the Shinto pantheon of Japan, maybe post-Shogun or pre-Shogun era, mm -hmm. um, where, in, you know, you kind of have <coughs> Amaterasu kind of locked away in her cave and you can kind of bring in these supernatural elements that we've seen from Japan. Because that's the beauty of, um, you know, as as we pointed out, since you love horror movies as well, the difference of like Western and Eastern horror, very, very different. So mm. conceptually, I would be very invested and interested to see what, how they could utilize that 
and kind of transform it into more of a a familiar yet different and unique way. Because like, mm. I mean, the idea of um, Kratos fighting a, a Shinigami is like just such a cool oh. idea to say out loud. You said like, it. Like that's crazy, man. I um. I just had a moment of joy. I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to talk about with HBT with my, with my man, Cal. <laughs> I dig it. Um, I also want to challenge any artist out there, you know, to just make this art. Um, Kratos looking at where he's going next, maybe, you know, a multiple choice, you know, the doors. And I don't know if this even makes sense, but so you have Chinese myth occupied. Sorry, Black Myth Wukong. Sorry, that's being done. Um, <laughs> Japan, Ghost of Shima. Sorry, that's taken. Celtic, ah, sorry, Hellblade, uh, Hellblade sorry, taken, <laughs> you know, um, and then Assassin's Creed's origin has taken Egypt, and then, so where does he go, and, you know, I could see, like, a very dusty, you know, maybe the sign is broken, it's like, because we just haven't had something major in it, and and I, I am such a fan, uh, you know, my pal, um, Ava from, uh, uh, you know, her Jaguar Feather from, from Avatar Podcast, uh, Chichimeca, Yucatan, I'm talking about Aztec. I'm talking about my, my, this is adjacent to the Fraser thing, but it's more serious. It's the idea that the Mayans knew about the end of the world with 2012. Like there's, you can fold that mm -hmm. into that Lost Pages thing. I would love, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's a distant parallel, but with Warhammer, there was this thing there where they destroyed the old world and then there was a little fragment of it and then it turned into the Age of Sigmar or whatever. So if we're going to look at that, um, potentially it's like, well, what if Norse, that's it, it's destroyed. And then it's like Kratos and Atreus, or who knows, maybe just one of them, depending on how controversial they want to get. Um, uh, Q2, <laughs> Q, the God of War community dividing, just like the Last of Us mm -hmm. community did between like people who think Neil Druckmann yeah. is this. I, I, I firmly not in any fanboyish way but i think last of us 2 is is a masterpiece and it's it's they did exactly what they had to do narratively um are we friends still after i said that or do you hate Last of Us? i mean i've i'm not a last of us fan i i'm Ooh, not okay. really uh, cool. a fan of either of them to me um okay like i i appreciate the games for what they are it's just you know, I'm not gonna like from an outsider just kind of watching it. It's like uh, the meme of the dude just walking in with a bunch of pizzas and everything's on fire. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. All so, right. So what I'm saying is, hopefully that doesn't happen with where they go and what they do. But say, yeah, it's Kratos and Atreus for this metaphor's sake, clinging to a chunk of that world and being flung after Ragnarok into another Norse world of myth. And maybe if they want to take a tiny little leaf out of, um, you know, the, the post-credit stinger, they wake up on the shores of, and I just can't get the image out of my head. Um, and I'll clip this out if this ends up being anywhere close to right, but the image of my head of like them washing up on the shores of like a rainforest, like Kratos and Atreus in a really rainforest. And it is, it is the, the Aztecs being like, what did we tell you? That's when the world was going to end. And like, this idea of this world ending thing across mythology like for example i talked about this in the last episode is in in uh aztec uh they would make sacrifices to make sure the sun never fell you know mm -hmm. and in norse mythology you know one of the wolves eats the sun so right uh, in ragnarok yeah, so that, that definitely does make i like that idea actually you know so it's the, it's, a, it's the idea of uh it also helps on the idea conceptually of like mm -hmm. that joint world aspect yeah so i think uh that, that's very unique because 
the, the one thing we got we got to kind of keep in mind though is just how do the pantheons kind of work and associate with each other because you know the hard thing is with the god of war universe is that we know so little of the pantheons and uh helios himself when you decapitate him the sun mm -hmm. goes out so i'm interested to see if they kind of decide to bend and break that rule because mm -hmm. again it's like it's the beauty about having an open world of your writing you can kind of connect and thread and weave different world and narratives into each other man we could talk for hours we really could couldn't we but <laughs> man what time is it there for you buddy uh it is 3 18 you are i'm going to avail myself of i think i'm they're all on the screen right now <laughs> folks this person this brother of mine now has taken this time especially with the crazy hour look all the links patreon ko-fi whatever you have let let this channel be a nice this episode be a nice kind of clarion call to have all of you rush over to support and join cal's community um you're doing Thank extremely you again i have to reiterate take two i have to reiterate just how worthwhile the work you're doing is and the fact that it is just sort of emanating from you as this kind of um uh, this sort of natural thing that is just yeah like a, a byproduct of just you being who you are and, and having your own natural curiosity the fact that that product byproduct is this immensely worthwhile channel like man you're going from strength to strength and, and just keep at it and i hopefully i'm not overstepping but to get you back on the show would you want to jump back at some point oh 100 percent. i'd love to like definitely do that it's just that you know of course you know time wise yeah. there's a little bit of a difference between you're us, gonna be but, busy you know <laughs> oh yeah but you oh, know yeah. i'd love to definitely be back it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you for having me on no my, my absolute pleasure i am um, i saw your elden ring don't think i didn't we also do elden ring over here oh yeah that's it boom um <laughs> and we're actually gonna do there you go and i see that the mat there my man not just that uh, well it's i'm just I'm, all i'm gonna say is it's on it's on the way it's on the way we yes, we, 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 we worked something out so we can <laughs> when you come on the elden ring podcast we'll we'll both wear them all right yes <laughs> that's how it do that's how it do man make sure to have an amazing rest of the day i'll edit this one up and send you the links all right awesome mate thank you very much again for having me on i super appreciate that see you brother till soon okay be well yeah enjoy the rest of your day take you care too, mate. mate be well bye, bye. Thanks for watching. Big hugs all around. Every episode takes many volunteer hours to create. In fact, the Topic Podcast Network is 100% listener supported. We refuse to include distracting like, share, and subscribe requests during the show itself. Only here, after the end, do we feel comfortable humbly asking you, our beloved audience, to consider any form of support that feels true to you. Thanks again.